Good morning, everybody. It is great to be here together to worship our God, and I'm ready to get into our study this morning. Today we're going to be looking at the events around the cross as we have written up here. And this came out of a, of a study where I realized, you know what, this is the most pivotal, most important time in history. This is the time that the God of the world who created the world stepped down and said, okay, now I'm coming. The only time he ever came, the only time he really stood here, this is the most pivotal moment in history, the most pivotal time where we, are, where we see our Savior came down. And I realized that these events hadn't really impacted me. They, I knew the facts of them, but I hadn't really sat and thought about them. And so today I'm going to walk through these with you and hopefully give you some more things to think about. Maybe we stop and just slow down through these events. And I'm going to be trying to relate to them in a few ways and trying to dive into them with some thought a little more. And so we're going to be walking through them, just describing them. And I normally like to walk through the verses themselves, but since it's so, uh, so much time we're covering, I'm just going to describe them so hopefully we can stay together. But if you will, turn with me to Psalm chapter 22 is where we'll be uh, referring to quite a bit to back up and think about what Jesus is going through internally. Because we read the facts, we read what's going on a lot in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but we really find what Jesus is thinking and what he's feeling from Psalm chapter 22. So we'll be referring to that quite a bit. I want to pick up with you. Well, first we'll look at an unseen pain. Then we'll look at a backhanded kiss. We'll look at some political games. Then we'll look at a section I have titled Me. And then surely this was the Son of God. But first, I want to start with Jesus in the garden. We're going to pick up with him in the garden. He's just taking with him his best, his closest friends, Peter, James, and John, into the garden of Gethsemane. And he says, guys, stay here. I'm going to go a little further. And he goes alone to pray by himself. And when he gets there, he falls on his face and he prays to God. And he asks God to let him get out of this. When was the last time you felt strong anticipation about something? Something that you just couldn't stop thinking about. Something that was filling your mind because you knew what was coming. This is going to be probably a poor example, but I'm going to use it because uh, it's what I got. When the first time I was going to climb Half Dome, we were going to do it when the cables were down. And my buddy called me up the week before, and he's like, hey, you want to go climb Half Dome? I said, sure, why not? And they just lay the cables down against the mountain, and they say, if you want to go mess with it, go ahead. It's out of season. And so the whole week leading up to it, it was the only thing I could think about. I'd be sitting in class at, at, in college just thinking about this, this climb, thinking about this vertical rock and how we'd be going up the side of it because it was... There was so much that was going to be new, so much that was going to be happening that I never experienced before. It was, it was like it was the only thing I could think about. I would sit in class thinking about it. My palms would be sweating, watching videos of it. It was just this experience that, that I was excited for, but I was nervous for, and it seemed like it was the only thing I could think about. Now, that's a poor example, but our minds have a way of seeing something coming and wrapping around that. I was talking to Terry uh, the, the other day about just his, the procedure to take off his wound vac. And he said it was so painful every time it happened. He had to have it done every other day. And when it was coming that day, it's just, it was the only thing he could think about. It was just stressing him out all day long. That internal pain we feel when something's coming that we know is coming can sometimes be almost as painful as the, the thing we go through itself. We know that's the truth with a lot of mental issues. You feel it alone. You feel it by yourself, and people can't see what's going on. You feel it inside. Jesus understands that. 
Can you imagine what he felt the, the year that he was going to be crucified? Realizing that this is the year it's all going to happen. He had read prophecies like in Isaiah 52 that said his appearance would be marred more than any man. His face was going to be messed up more than anybody before him. In Isaiah 53 it says he would be wounded for our transgressions. He would be bruised for our iniquities. And by his, by his stripes we would be healed. And that he was going to be led as a lamb to the slaughter. He was going to be killed like an animal. What if that was written about you? Your whole life you read this. That's really going to be me? That's what my life is going to come to? Because he lived a daily life where he had a normalcy. And this was going to shake up everything he had ever felt, everything he had ever known. He was going to be crucified. What if that was written about you? And the year it was going to happen, you had to know he felt the pain. The beginning of that month, it's here, it's going to happen. And then that week, he starts to break down. In John chapter 12, verse 27, it says, Jesus is talking, he says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. He's like, it's, it's, it's all falling on top of me right now. But, and I'm falling apart, but God, what do I say? Get me out of this? But this is the, reason, the whole reason I came here. This is the reason I went through everything I've gone through so far. This is what all the work's been for. So what do I do? I'm caught between the feeling inside me and the realization that this is what's got to happen. In the beginning of that week, he's starting to feel the pain. And we catch him now in the garden, on his face. And the only thing that he has to say is, Father, please let this cup pass for me. I don't want to have to do this. But if it's your will, and there's no other way, then let it be done. In Psalm chapter 22, verse 1 and 2 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear and in the night season, and I'm not silent. These are the Jesus' thoughts as he's going to be crucified. He says, I cry in the daytime. Did you notice that? When do you cry in the daytime? You typically cry, right, at night. When you're alone, you can kind of put it away and hide it, and you can shelter from everybody else. You cry in the daytime when it's got too much for the night. When you can't hold it in anymore just to the end of the day when you're by yourself. He says, I'm crying in the daytime now. The pain is with me during the day and it just comes out. He had daytime tears for us. And he went back to his close friends and he saw them and, and they were asleep on him. And he said, guys, watch and pray lest you, get lest you enter into temptation. Stay up and pray with me. Please be with me right now. This is really hard. I need somebody. He goes alone to pray, he comes back and it's the same thing. Guys, get up, come on. Stay with me. He goes away and he comes back and the same thing happens again. And what happens to these guys? He specifically addressed Peter when he said, Peter, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. What happened to Peter? He went on to forsake him. When things got tough, Peter ran. Well, first he, he, he went against what Jesus wanted. And he cut off the right ear of Malchus when they came to get him. And then Peter denied Jesus, he left him, he, he forsook him. And this whole spiral of Peter's life, of doing the wrong thing, and then running away from him and bailing on him, started when he didn't pray, when Jesus told him to pray and pay attention to what's going on, to what's really going on. 
In 1 Peter 4, verse 7, Peter says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. That's exactly what Jesus told him. Now he's writing to us saying, Don't make the same mistake as me. Peter says, Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Peter says, Pay attention to what's really going on, what really matters, and pray about it. Our realities we have to deal with can be heavy. Whether they're in our personal lives or in the spiritual world, it's just a big reality we have to face with a lot of things. He said, pray about it. Every time I, I, I think about the, what happens here, I, I tell myself, man, i got to pray more. Man, i got to tap into that strength again. Because where else am I going to find that strength? Let's learn from Peter's mistakes. and Let's pray. So they came to get him. His close friend, Judas, came to get him. And Jesus said, who are you guys looking for when this mob came up to get him? Can you picture it? It's, it's early in the morning. It's dark outside. And they come to him with torches and weapons. How creepy that must have been. They're coming for you. And they get there and Jesus says, who are you guys looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus. And Jesus says something really cool. He says, I am. In your Bible, it might say, I am he with he italicized. That means when it's italicized, it wasn't in the original. It's just there to try to fill it in. But really, he said, I am. That phrase, I am, is the same phrase that Moses used when he was in the wilderness and he was going to get the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. He said, God, what am I going to do when they ask who sent you? I'm going to go try to tell these people I'm God's help. I'm trying to pull you out of Egypt. What do I tell them to make them believe that? He says, tell them I am sent you. And that's the same phrase Jesus is using here. He says, I am. It's the present always. I was, I am, and I'm going to be. He's the only one that can say I am. And when he says those words, I am, they fall to the ground. Just the word he spoke made them fall on the ground on their backs. They stumbled and fell, it says. This showed that Jesus was not going to be taken. Jesus, just by speaking a word, made them fall on the ground to say, you know what, I'm going to go with you. But it has nothing to do with you taking me. And it's everything to do with the fact that I'm going on my own will. They get up, they take him, and they leave. And they take him to, to a mock trial where they decide, well, what are we going to do to, uh, to accuse him before Pilate? And they throw a bunch of things around. They throw false accusations around. But nothing sticks. Nothing holds. They're sitting there with a ruckus trying to figure something out against him. But nothing. It was Jesus. He didn't do anything wrong. They knew that down deep. But they were trying to trip him up. They were trying to get him in something. And so they came with some resolution as to what they were going to say. And they brought him to Pilate. In Psalm 22, verse 6, Jesus says, But I am a worm and no man. A reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot off the lip. They shake the head saying, They trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. They're mocking him. You know, if God's really on your side, let him deliver you. Little did they know that that's God's whole plan is to let them sacrifice Jesus in his place. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. But you were he who took me out of the womb. Who took me out of the womb. 
You made me trust while my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there's none to help. Jesus was surrounded, taken to this trial where they threw accusations at him, and then they brought him before Pilate. I want you to put yourself in Pilate's shoes as we uh, come to this part of the situation. Pilate is, is woken up early in the morning, it says. And you have a mob of people taking this guy to him who seems peaceful. He seems docile. Like, why are they taking this guy to us? What's, what's he doing wrong? And they want to kill him. They don't just come up and say, man, this guy made us mad. Find him. Get us some kind of fees. Punish him. They want him dead. That seems a little extreme for somebody who doesn't look harmful at all to me. And they bring him to Pilate and they start throwing accusations at him. And what's funny is the thing they tell Pilate and Pilate says, what's this guy done? What's, what's the deal? They say, if he, if he wasn't guilty of something, then we wouldn't have brought him here. Like children. Well, if he wasn't in trouble, we, we wouldn't have said anything. And that was the best they had. So Pilate calls him inside. He's confused. He's, he's kind of weirded out by all this, you have to, under, you have to assume. Because they came to him early in the morning with this guy. His wife told him, don't have anything to do with this guy. Because I had a dream about it. And on top of that, what Jesus says when he talks to him. He calls up Jesus, and they start to talk together. And, and Pilate's trying to get some information out of him, but Jesus isn't really saying anything. He's not responsive. And Pilate says, don't you understand that I have the power to take your life? Talk to me. I have the power over your life to take it from me or to give it to you. And he responds by saying, you would have no power if it were not given to you by my father. So this guy is brought early in the morning, seems peaceful, but people want to kill him. His wife had a dream about him that says, that she said, don't have anything to do with him. And then now he tells Pilate very calmly, he says, my father is the one who gave you your power. He's got to be weirded out. And so he comes outside and he, and he wants to, to set him free. He says, I, have no, I find no fault. This guy didn't do anything wrong. Let's, I want to be out of this. But the people chant, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Can you imagine what that sounded like? You know, you hear these, at these football games or these big sporting events, crowds, crowds get to chanting together all at once. And it's a powerful noise if you're at one of those games. It says that a multitude was there chanting this. Can you imagine what that sounded like? People wanting to kill you. And having a call for your blood chanted over a crowd. Crucify him. So Pilate says, okay, here's the deal. I got a plan. This is a, I got him right here. You guys have a custom, or we have a custom of releasing someone to you uh, at this time. So I'm going to choose someone to release to you. And you only have two options. You have this guy Barabbas, and you have Jesus. I got him right here. You know, that this, this is an obvious one. Barabbas is a murderer, he's a thief, and he's a rebel. So he's been convicted. It's clear this guy is going to be crucified. And they'll let Jesus go because they have no other option. And they choose Jesus to be killed over the murder, the thief, and the rebel. These guys are delusional. Are you kidding me? And Pilate, Pilate doesn't know what to do now. They're chanting, they're, there's a mob, there's an uprising. And history tells us that Pilate needed to put this down. Because 
Pilate had some previous insurrections, some previous rebellions that had got out of hand, and he was under the thumb of the Romans, and he needed to act. He needed to do, to do something to get out of this situation, or it was going to be his job, most likely. And so he needed to put this rebellion out. And so he chose to appease the people. He said, fine, this isn't my problem. I'm washing my hands. You guys do with him what you want to do. And they, he delivers Jesus to them. The first thing we want to notice about this is the poor leadership. It's amazing that of all the ways, all the things that would happen when the Son of God came to this world, he died early. He died when he was about 30-something. What's even more amazing is that he didn't just die a normal death, he was killed. How many of us are killed? That's pretty rare. You know, most of us die a normal death. But the Son of God was killed. And on top of that, he was killed by people who claimed to serve him. They were looking for the Messiah, supposed to be, and they killed the one that they were supposed to be looking for to save them. Jesus died at the hand of poor leadership. The first lesson is for the leaders. Please lead well. Please lead, always lead to strive with humility and wisdom. Lead with a willingness to understand what God says and not a willingness to follow our own passions, our own emotions. Because that got these guys in trouble. They stirred up a crowd and everyone was just feeling the, the emotion of the moment. And they, they did it. Just previously, they were putting palm leaves on the ground and worshiping him. And now, with the emotion of the moment and, and the leaders telling them to do this, they're going to kill him. So leaders, please lead well. But the followers were just as guilty. You know, for these followers who were chanting crucify him, they provided the, the strength for this, for this movement to kill Jesus. The number of people who were following him provided the chant to, to crucify him in the overwhelming number. But, I mean, I don't want to pound too hard on them because what would you do if you were a follower? Of, of these religious people. Well, these are our religious leaders. They've always led us well. They've always been our authority. They're the ones who know what's right. They're the ones who shouldn't ever lead us wrong. We trust these guys. And it led them to kill the Son of God. So the lesson is for us followers is to follow, to pay attention to who we follow, and to pay attention to all of their decisions. Because if, as soon as we just submit our, our letter of resignation from our thoughts and we let them have that authority to think for us, any, any leaders of any kind, we're submitting to them instead of God. And 1 Corinthians 1, verse 11 through 13 says, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. He says, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He says, no, the point is not any of these men who you're following. Don't look to them as your ultimate head. Don't follow these men and say, oh, I'm lining up behind this guy and this guy. No, he says, the conclusion is in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, is imitate me as I imitate Christ. Christ is our head. And the only reason we follow any religious leaders or anyone with a religious authority is as they follow Christ. So really, we can focus on Christ, and that will take care of what we need to know. 
And then we'll see if, the, if our leaders are leading well. So for followers, we need to remember who our head is, that is Christ, and to be careful who we follow. And as a, as a general principle, we have to be careful with, us, with this idea because Jesus left us a path to follow. He left us a straight path. And what happens is the next person that comes to follow him tries their best, but they end up deviating. And their path may go a long way from Jesus, and it may come back close to him, and another day it's, it's, it's farther away. And so if we come behind and we try to follow that person ahead of us, we're going to mess up. We're going to be imperfect. We're going to be following their standard, and pretty soon we're all the way out here following their standard to someone that's not even close to Jesus. And if we keep following each other away from Jesus, where are we going to be? We need to keep our eyes on that main path that Jesus set, the path that Jesus gave to us, and keep our eyes on Him. And even when we mess up, we're going to come back to Him. We're going to come back to the way He has it for us. And then we have Pilate. Pilate is another guilty party in this. History showed us that he needed to put down this unrest. He had reason. He had a motivation. He had selfish interest that he needed to take, to take care of. So he had, well, this is, I had to do this. Is what, the way he thought. I had to do this. This is, I, I had to do something. But his doing something was inaction. And it led to the death of the Son of God. So just not doing the wrong thing, quote unquote. Sweeping something under the rug like Pilate tried to do. And just say, oh, it's not my problem. I'm going to be free of this. Is not does not remove you from guilt. It doesn't remove him from guilt, and it won't do it for us. We have to do the right thing, even when it's difficult. Because Pilate had a chance to save the life of the, of the Son of God. But it was God's plan, and it was going to happen. Now I want to look at this character, Barabbas. I haven't been keeping up with our headings, but this is the character, Barabbas. Who is this guy? We've already said he was a murderer, he was a rebel, and he was a thief. He was guilty on death row to die a death he deserved to die. But why is he in this story? And why does he even come in? It just seems like a slap in the face to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his crucifixion. And there's this guy that comes in who seems to interrupt the flow of all of this. And there's an option for a way out for Jesus. Can you imagine what went through Barabbas' head? I'm going to give some speculation here. Maybe he was in his cell waiting for this, for his condemnation. He knew what was coming. He knew he was going to die for the crimes he committed. What if they put the key in the lock? They opened the door, and, and he was thinking, it's time for me to go. And they say, you're free to go. What do you mean I'm free to go? You're free to go. There's a man named Jesus out here that they put up on the stand against you and you won out. They said they're going to kill Jesus and you're free to go. What do you mean? Like there's no punishment, no nothing. I don't have like some kind of parole. I don't have anything. No, you're free to go completely. Well, what do you mean? Like what this guy do? He must have killed a lot of people to be worse than me. No. Isaiah tells us that there was no violence in him. Well, he must have gotten wrong with the wrong people. Like, he must have done people bad who, who were pretty high up, who had a lot of money or who had a lot of power. 
No. It says there was no deceit in his mouth. Well, then what do you mean? This doesn't make any sense. I'm going to die, or I'm going to go free, and this Jesus is going to die, and they can't have, there's no condemnation against him. I don't understand. I don't know if that's what went on. But you know what I see when I see Barabbas? That's me. That's you. Barabbas randomly comes into this story to be put on trial next to Jesus, and one dies and the other one goes free. One was guilty and the other one was innocent. We learned through the old law how bad and how messed up we are and how much our sin couldn't be fixed by anything we could do. In the old law, I just rolled it forward, just pushed it forward another year with sacrifice. We learn how guilty we are. And we learn how innocent Jesus was. We were guilty and we should have died, but Jesus said, no, I'm going to die for you. Take me instead. I'm Barabbas. And you're Barabbas. And what's cool about that is we don't know what happens to Barabbas at all after that. All we learn is that he went free. We learn in Acts 2 that people came from everywhere and heard the gospel and were baptized for the remission of their sins. I like to think that Barabbas might have been one of those people. That Barabbas might have been one of those who looked into why am I alive and, and if I'm still alive, I want to find out who this guy was. I don't know if that's what happened. But all we know is he had the opportunity because of Jesus. He had the chance, just like you and me. And I wonder, this is some more speculation, but I wonder what Jesus saw when he saw Barabbas. We learn in Psalm 22, in verse 3, it says, But you were holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. So Jesus looked back at the past. He looked at his ancestors, and he saw that God had delivered them. He had pulled them out of the hard time. Maybe he thought, when he saw Barabbas, maybe he thought about Abraham and Isaac. How Isaac was about to be sacrificed there, and in the nick of time, God sent a lamb, sent a ram caught in the thicket to be killed instead of Isaac. Abraham's son Isaac was going to be saved because of this last minute alternate sacrifice. I wonder if Jesus saw that in Barabbas. Now, I know Jesus was going to fall through and he was going to do what the Father wanted, but I wonder if the human side of him that wanted a way out saw that in Barabbas. That's just a little thought on the emotions Jesus might be feeling. I don't know if that's what he felt at all. But whatever the case was, he went and he was beaten. I don't know if you've seen the movie The Passion of Christ, and while they might not have everything just right, it destroyed me when I saw what would have happened to Jesus with the, with the whippings. I, I couldn't take it. I just, I wanted it to stop. I couldn't watch it. I had to pause it because I couldn't see that happening and know I had something to do with that. I couldn't. And I just wanted to stop. I wanted to say, Jesus, just, just, just stop. Let's not let this happen. And then we can just both go our separate ways and that's, that's it. Because no one should have to go through anything like that. Especially not for me. But the reality is it already happened. And so it's up to me to decide what I'm going to do with it. Is Jesus going to suffer that? Is he going to die like that so that I can go on and live whatever? Not really care about him? 
say in Jesus' name at the end of a couple prayers and think that's just good enough or that's all he deserves out of me? Or am I going to live every day with the realization of what he did for me and how much pain he went through for me? What's funny is, is you can't deny the fact that this all happened. The things we've talked about so far and the things that have happened are all historical fact. I told one of my friends one time, you, just think about this, because there's someone who died a long time ago and said, I do, I'm doing it for every person that comes after me. He did it specifically for you. Is that all we're thinking about? Has anyone ever died and just said, I'm going to die for everyone's sins? People don't do that. It's proven fact. Jesus came and he died and he was crucified. Romans 5 verse 8 says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And after he was beaten almost to death, he went to the cross. I don't know how he walked, how he carried that cross, how with his back shredded up, he carried the wood. I imagine he fell in the dirt. Maybe dirt got in his wounds. How nasty that must have been. And why did he keep going? That's why I don't get. Why did he keep going? If he was on, in pain, on the road to more pain, why didn't he stop? Why didn't he just give up and give in? He did it for you. And God said that things were going to be a certain way. There was a plan for him to, to die a certain way. And if nothing else, Jesus doing that showed that he was going to grind for God. He was going to get after it and he was going to put his effort out there for God regardless of the way he felt. Maybe he would have felt, you know what, I'm just going to stop here because I'm going to die anyway for these people. He kept going and it showed that he was willing to put in whatever it took, go through whatever pain it took to make sure it happened the way God wanted it to. Do we have that same resolve? It's hard for us to be exactly like Jesus because of how great he was and the situations he was in. But do we share a Christ-like, a Christian, Christ-like spirit that we are willing to go through whatever it takes, suffer pain, to get out, to be uncomfortable for the way God wants it to be? That's what Jesus did. And he was nailed to the cross. I can't imagine the claustrophobia of knowing you're stuck somewhere. It's one thing to feel like you're stuck if you have your siblings, you know, if your siblings held you down and you couldn't move and you just got really mad and really anxious because you felt stuck, you felt claustrophobic, what would it have felt like to be nailed to a cross and know I'm not going to move from this position until I die? To hang there, struggling for your breath, just hurting to be alive. And the claustrophobia of knowing I'm going to die right here. Jesus had never felt this before. It's easy for us to think, you know, Jesus came and he died. That's just who Jesus was. It was just the way it was supposed to be. And that was normal for him. Jesus had never gone through this. It would hurt him as much as it would hurt you or me. And yet, through all that, he was able to forgive people next to him. In Luke 23, we learn that Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In verse 39, then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. You had this, these two thieves, and both mocked him. We learned both mocked him at one point. 
And in Luke's account, it records that he had a change of heart later. And this has always been one of the coolest moments in scriptures to me. This guy was about to die convicted of something that was going to be by law and by God's law. Put him to death. And God saved him. Jesus saved him right there. Jesus said, oh, I just lost my place. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come to your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. Paradise is where you go before your final resting place. We have the Hadean realm. In Hades, there is, uh, there is torments and there's paradise. Torments is where you go before hell. And, and, and paradise is where you go to wait before heaven. We learn that when we all die, when the end of time comes, we're all going to go from our respective places into the final resting place. And he said, you're going to be with me in paradise. And he went to paradise with Jesus that day. We learned that Jesus went to paradise, which means he was dead for a time in paradise before he was risen back to life, and then he went to the Father. So Jesus didn't, uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus said, you will not leave my soul in Hades or let my, my soul see corruption. He was taken from paradise, brought back to earth, and then he went to be with the Father. And Jesus saved this man that day, next to him when he was about to die. It's one of the most amazing things of all of Scripture. And, and people say, well, see, they try to make different conclusions about that. And how, but the, but the point of that is, as in Hebrews 9, we learn that until, with a, with a living will, the one who sets that will up has power to change it until they die. And so while Jesus was alive, while he was the living testator, he could say, you're going to be saved, and it would happen. And that's what he told this man. He said, you are going to be with me in paradise today. And people say, well, well he wasn't baptized. Well, we don't know that. It says that uh, all of Judea came and were baptized. So he might have been one of those people. But either way, Jesus had the power over his living will to say, I'm going to be with you today in paradise. We see pictures of all different types of people. People who, who were about to die a, a dead condition and then in the last minute were saved because they came with a full heart and said, you know what, I need to change. We have that. We have the, person, the other person next to him who died with a hard heart and made fun of Jesus. We have people who, who were kind of uninvolved and didn't really care that much. We have people who are passionately serving him. We have all of it. Can you see yourself in any of them? We all have the same opportunities today. We're still alive. We have the opportunity to say, I'm not going to waste this sacrifice. I'm not going to see what Jesus did and, and spit on it with my life. I'm going to respect him with the way I live. In Psalm 22, verse 14, Jesus said, I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joy. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. It is dried up like a pot shirt. My tongue clings to my, my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. We learn how Jesus felt. What are we going to do with it today? That's the lesson for you. I hope you've been able to consider these things a little deeper. And maybe you'll take, take them with you. As we try to understand what our Savior went through for us. So that it will prompt us to actually change this week. You've heard a little bit of the word this morning. If you've heard and you believe, 
You can repent of your past life. You can change. You can turn around and confess that Jesus is the Son of God unto salvation. That you can actually be on this, this Lord's team. That you don't have to look back and say, you know what, I wasted my life separate from Him. You can start today and you can confess Him and you can make Him happy from today on. And you can be baptized and contact His blood. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.